0: Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Some breaking news in the college tennis world, as USC has not only hired their next head football coach, but they've hired their next men's tennis assistant as well. It will be Rich Bonfiglio, the former Columbia San Diego assistant, heading over to Los Angeles to coach the Trojans in 2022. And of course, I have thoughts on the hire. I will offer my opinion, solicit the opinions of Matt Stokowiak, Chris Halioris, John Parsons on this week's Great Shot podcast episodes. But you know who can probably offer us the most insight into the USC coaching search? The head coach of the men's tennis team, Brett Macy, who joins us on the podcast today. And I will point out this podcast, one of the many we are doing here to help preview the 2022 college tennis season. I am hoping to interview every Power 5 men's and women's coach before January starts. You'll be able to hear all of those conversations over the next couple of weeks here on the Cracked Interviews podcast, this episode being one of them where, of course, I'm going to ask every coach how they reflect on their 2021 season, what they learned in 2021 and how they can apply that here to 2022. But of course, I want to talk about some of the big picture items in college tennis as well. Have we settled on a proper format? Are there more changes we can incorporate to not only make the uh, product more marketable, but of course more appealing to fans as well. And then some of the other topics, what is the role of the fall? Do the requirements the NCAA puts on tennis, the eight-hour rule, the 25 competitive dates, are those reflective of the modern demands of the sport? Are those limitations hindering athletes who have professional aspirations? I want to talk about all of those things with as many different coaches as possible. So you're going to hear a lot of thoughts, a lot of repeated thoughts from me, but a lot of fascinating, different thoughts, independent, unique thoughts from from these coaches. You're going to hear me steal from a bunch of them throughout this process as well. So excited to start sharing some of these interviews with you as, again, the word progressive, I don't mean it in a political sense. I mean it in the sense that all of these coaches are pushing the boundaries for what they think college tennis can be, what it can become as well, and fascinating conversations. I'm in heaven, folks. This past four weeks of content we've been accumulating here at Cracked Rackets, it is my strike zone. So very excited to roll out those Interviews to all of you over the course of the next few weeks, I suppose next month and a half, uh, just given all of the interviews that we have. But of course, we start today with USC head coach Brad Macy, who again talks about his decision to hire a new assistant head coach, Br- Br- Rich Bonfiglio, Excuse me, talks about you know 2021 closing the page on the Kukerman, the Riley Smith era, how they build forward here in 2022, some of the recruits they brought in, his recruiting philosophy, and so much more. It's a fantastic conversation. That I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Of course, if you've missed any of our other preview content, you can find it all on the website, crackedrackets.com. College contenders rocking and rolling. We've broken down number 10, Arizona and Ohio State, uh, number 10, excuse me, Kentucky and Ohio State for the men and women. Number nine, Arizona and Texas A&M. Number eight, TCU uh, and Duke for the men and women. We get to number seven here this week. You can find us breaking down the teams on the Great Shop Podcast, coaching interviews, here on the Cracked Interviews feed. You can read more about them on the website, CrackRackets.com. Learn more about them on our Crack Rackets YouTube page, as, of course, we try to ensure you all have all of the information before you, uh, before the start of the 2022 season. But enough with the plugs. You want to hear what, why, what, and why Coach Macy hired uh, Coach Rich Bonfiglio and about the Trojans entering 2022. So without further ado, west off. get to those credits. Here's my conversation with USC Men's Tennis Head Coach Brett Macy. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a man you probably know best as a former Cal Poly student who spent a little bit too much time playing IM basketball. Of course, now you know him as the head coach of the USC men's tennis team. Welcome back to the show, Coach Brett Macy. Coach, welcome back. Happy belated Thanksgiving. How are you doing today?
1: Man, I love how you put that segue in into my basketball skills. I miss miss those days.
0: Yeah, one of these days, we'll just do a pot on your basketball career. I feel like you were definitely, I would describe it as a JCC power forward. I mean, but you probably, you know, there was some some 3 and D in your game.
1: Yeah, no, I was a scrapper. I, You know, put up the jump (laughs) shot, get in the lane. I was a mini
0: Hornacek. (laughs) That's good.
1: See, That'd I always figured dope. you
0: were Hornacek would yeah.
1: be too old for you, though. So I don't know if you guys even know that reference.
0: Well, I know Jeff Hornacek as a head coach, but yeah, he was a guard for the Suns. I I can dabble. I can dabble in some cross sports. This is what happens when you're when you grow up with brothers, coach. It's just like yeah, eventually Jeff Hornacek seeps into your memory.
1: Oh, uh, you gotta you gotta remember he was a Jazz first.
0: Uh, <laughs> true. Is that what was he on the Malone Stockton teams?
1: Yeah, you got it. There you
0: go. Uh, You talk about successful duos. Here's how I'm going to transition here. Uh, Obviously, a successful duo over the past decade at USC has been, you know, Chris Quinta and any head coach. He was a staple of that foundation, the connective thread in your tenure from the Steve Johnson years to where you are now. And obviously, the big news in college tennis, Coach Quinta goes and takes the head coaching job at Cal. The USC assistant job becomes open. And I've talked to people around college tennis who will say, the USC assistant job is better than maybe 85% of head coaching jobs. And obviously it was big buzz in my circles. Who is going to get that USC assistant job? Well, we now have the answer as you have hired Rich Von Figlio over from Columbia to come and be your assistant at USC. Talk me through the process. Talk me through the decision making. How do you ultimately end up on Rich?
1: Uh, you know, I've known Rich for a while. Obviously, I think what he's doing out there, he put himself in the top three five assistants in the country. Losing someone like Chris, you know, probably, in my opinion, the best one or two assistants out there, especially on court. Just a great guy. Awesome with the guys on the team. You know, just, you know, his work on court just speaks volumes in terms of his knowledge of the game. Uh, but Cal's getting a great guy there, super pumped for him. Uh, so when we, when I was, when Chris was, you know, kind of nailing it down that he was going to take the job, I was speaking to my guys like, you know, Ryan Keckley or Todd Dobler, who, you know, are his close confidants and, you know, just really good friends and, you know, they're going to give me the, you know, the good stuff. But like even your guy over there in Michigan, Adam Steinberg saying hey if you know someone leaves tomorrow I'm hiring him or Tony Bresky saying I'm hiring him well I think the guy you know just says right there that he's the next guy up and you know from talking to him just about you know how he was able to get the recruits that he's been able to and you know secure some of the guys that he has at Columbia and even at USD I mean he was the main guy there to get August Holmgren you know I think he's a you know Kind of like a Tanner Stump in a way in regards to, you know, an awesome recruiter and, you know, really builds the relationships with guys. And, you know, he's amazing on court with just in terms of his strategy and knowledge of, of the game. And I was like, OK, why am I looking any further? I just got to I got to go out and get this guy.
0: Yeah. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to interview for the job. I thought it went pretty well, I'm not gonna lie, I expected to get it. Was I a little hurt when you went another direction? Yes. But I guess we can put that on a back burner for a different time, you know. I I think I'm old enough to do it, but that's again discussion for another time. But it's so interesting to hear you talk about the recruiting piece because you look at what he has been able to do and it's you know, I think top ten classes in five of the last six years at Columbia, and obviously he's played a big role in that and the San Diego part as well he's a former assistant there you know obviously you coached there for a time as well was it important for you to find a guy with California roots
1: not necessarily I mean look I want to go out and get the best guy for the job that is also going to be the best for my players and you know I went through the rec- through in the process like he came and visited and I felt like he connected really well with a few guys that, that were able to visit with him and they were super pumped and and I think that's what he does is he, he builds trust a lot in his recruits, and he just spends a lot of time getting to know them. And, you know, a lot of my guys just had a lot of great things to say, and I just, I, you know, same for me. Like, I, there wasn't anything that I could look back and go, okay, is there a question mark? So I, getting a California guy with ties, like, yeah, maybe. that You know, he obviously knows the, you know, the lay of the land being from here for, for a couple of years, but no, you just go out and get the best guy you possibly can.
0: Mm -hmm. And obviously now you guys turn the page towards this 2022 dual match season. I'm curious for you looking at this past fall, uh, what was the, you know, how nice was it for you just to be able to be back with your team full time to have, you know, pretty much free practice rain. Uh, You know, what did you see from the guys this fall? A group that is clearly, you know, again, it's, it's a bit of a transition season in the fact that, you know, Daniel Kukerman, Riley Smith, they, they meant so much to the program. And they were there obviously for up to five years for Riley and he was part of that program his entire life and now it's a new group and you almost turn the page I'm curious what you've seen from the guys this fall
1: yeah I've seen a group that is very hungry and wants to uh do this do their own thing here you know they have want to create this program on their own I think like you said there's been a huge attachment you know from the past that's been associated with the program which is obviously not a negative but you know, now this is a group that what they want to make, create their own chapter of their book. And, you know, they've grown a lot. They've, 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 you know, I think what we missed last year was that fall season to really just, you know, you kind of grow and mature as a team. You, can, you know, you get into the weight room a lot. You, you go through a lot of there's like agonizing, you know, workouts throughout the fall. And we missed that last year. And I think that kind of hurt us in a way for sure. Um, but then, you know, this fall we came in and, you know, right now I feel like our guys, they're not slowing down. They're actually hungry for January to start and they're pushing themselves all the way up here until finals next week. And, you know, working out and getting in shape and, you know, trying to keep their tennis together. And, you know, they're, they're doing all that on their own. So, I mean, for me, I feel like they've, they've really kind of seen what we want from them. And I think that they're, you know, really highly anticipating you know, especially with you know, couple, adding a couple guys that we're going to add here in January. I mean, that's a that's going to make our team I feel like a really uh, a very strong candidate here.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you talk about that hunger with your group. You look back to last season and just a reminder, if you're going to swear at me, I think it's going to be after this question and we'll quack it out with a sound effect. But, uh, you know, you look at the record 23 and seven NCAA quarterfinals and you guys win uh, the Pac-12 tournament. I am curious, though, you know, six of those seven losses are 4 three. Does that leave a sour taste in the mouth of the guys? And how do you use that fact? You know, I think it was two and six and four three matches last year as motivation to get this group going, or do they not even need that?
1: No, I mean, look, we played an inner squad against Texas early on in the fall, and that definitely was, you know, tasted. What that bitter taste was in their mouth, I. I mean, I look at it as a learning moment from us, like a couple of things. One, like I said, we didn't have the training that we could potentially like leading up to the, to the season. So guys weren't in shape. Like, you know, you just kind of threw them out there. And so we were a little banged up from time to time, if you can remember. We didn't have Steph in a couple of those matches. We didn't have Daniel in one of those matches. You know, we you know we lose all those. And when you, it's kind of like when you start losing breakers or you start losing those 10-pointers, it starts to get in your head a little bit. And not that i say that it did get in our head, but, you know, look, more Bullis was injured the whole year. We didn't have him. So, you know, a lot of ifs, whats, you know, buts, whatever, you just – definitely could have changed a few things if you know you have another you know person in the depth chart you you know you can secure one of those matches you're not necessarily banged up you know like shoot two of those matches we had match points in so you know what can you and then we actually were two points away from winning another one in that in that quarterfinal it's just all growing moments that maybe is for a better place later on down the road maybe this season and you know we're we're hungry and we're you know maybe this team just kind of gets over the hump this year with it
0: yeah and uh, you know you talk about all the injuries you guys dealt with and that I know was a theme for you guys throughout the course of the season but with that said you know talk about the reps guys like obviously Bradley got at the top of the lineup last year and Ryder and Jake and just it felt like you had to play the entire roster at different points of the season because you guys were so banged up how does that help you entering this year
1: Yeah, I mean, look, like I said, we're adding a couple guys. We're going to have eight, nine, ten guys that are all going to be able to possibly play this year. This is, in a way, we could have a deeper team than we did last year if we're all healthy. I mean, I feel like Steph has really kind of secured himself up there at the top of the lineup just in terms of his fall season. But from there on out, I mean, your, your, your guess is as good as mine of who's going to be at what spot come, you know, January, February, March you know, just to see who kinda locks in a certain couple spots, you know, in those in those parts of the lineup and then, you know, who's to say that things could change or whatever. But I just I just think anybody can go out there and and win for us and produce for us on any given day. So that's what I'm really excited about is just how good this team is. And like on any roster when you have depth, you know, complacency can't set in because you're battling for that for that spot every week. Because you know if you're not necessarily going to do it, somebody else is going to be willing to step in and do it themselves.
0: Mm -hmm. So practices become harder, they can become more
1: focused and everything
0: hmm. Well, I'm curious with all of those thoughts in mind, uh, you know, you look at this fall and I think as a byproduct of last fall, we saw a lot more hidden duels being played. And, you know, we're interviewing all these Power Five coaches. I want to ask them all of this question. I want to hear your thoughts on this as well as just what is the role of the fall? Because if the role of the fall is to prepare for the spring, it would make sense that why wouldn't teams just play only hidden dual matches? That's as close as you get to the actual dual match spring season format. Versus the role of, you know, the individuals that are played in the fall. And you talk about a guy like Steph for him to have the opportunity to, you know, make a national quarterfinal and kind of just show the rest of college tennis. Hey, I can be the guy now. I'm curious what you view the role of the fall as in college tennis.
1: Uh, I think it's I think it's best described. It's it's both. I mean, I 100 percent love the hidden dual format. We're actually going to play another one in January um at sherwood to start the season um and i like it a lot this year for the reason of the team that we had like you mentioned at the beginning we got a new group they're kind of getting used to to one another they're trying to figure out you know like for a guy like peter mack or sam rebel or even paul barretto who hadn't got to play for a year you know these guys get to go out and compete together as a as a group and they're cheering for each other on the sideline, even though, like, it's, you know, it's not like they go play their match, they go rest, they get something to eat, they come back and go play another one two hours later. It's like they're all kind of going through the battle together. And, you know, each day we kind of grew in that process when we were down there in Athens. And, you know, each day got a little bit better with regards to, you know, how they connected and, and grew in that format. But, you know, with that being said, you know, I think that there's a lot of positives to, someone like Seth getting to play individual tournaments and or everybody for that matter and getting that success or like, look at the success. A lot of these guys have had playing semi-pro events like Brian Shelton or Ben Shelton and, um, you know, a few others, like those are, those are super crucial for their, just their confidence as well, just to see where they're at and how they're progressing in their tennis. So I can see it as a combination, you know, that we should be, should be doing it. Um, you know, should it to be the end-all, be-all? I don't know, but I definitely think if you're a young coach and you're trying to figure some things out, you should, you
0: should definitely put those put those things in it. In your yeah. Ball. Well. Yeah, with that said, you know, all this was a setup for me to get your opinion on the buzzword issue. And I know we've talked about this before privately. I don't think we've ever talked about it on the podcast. By the way, for what it's worth, because I went back and looked, second all time amongst college coaches in appearances on the Cracked Interviews podcast, coach. You can throw that in the interesting facts on your resume. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but, you know, something I've wanted to hear every coach's opinion on is where should the NCAA individuals tournament be placed in the college tennis schedule? Because the more I think about it, You know, the idea of there being an individual season in the fall and a team season in the spring or even a team season in the fall and an individual season in the spring, suggested by Coach Goffey, which I will be stealing moving forward, Uh, I I can understand the appeal of dividing the two because, you know, A, thankfully, no income tax in Florida. Otherwise, we'd all have been paying it by the end of those three weeks there for NCAA tournament. But, you know, it's just – Again, why are we playing individuals in the, in the fall if they don't really, you know, if they don't, if, if we're trying to prepare for the dual match season, I guess I, I understand the division. I understand the impetus for some to want to move it. I'm curious where you fall in that discussion.
1: Um, I guess I'm more of a traditionalist in the fact that like, I mean, I've gone back and forth with this and I can see the point of wanting to just play uh, dual matches in the spring and not worry about you know, you know, the end result with individual. I mean, I guess if you could make it perfect, like golf does where they can play individual stroke and, you know, it kind of counts in the same tournament, like that'd be amazing, you know, or do it like you used to do it back in the, you know, good old days of, you know, you make it a 128 draw and whoever wins the most points or matches gets the national title. I don't think anybody wants to go back to that, but you know, that was the old format back in the day. Um, but I, I think like, we have a good product and we have something that that works. I, I have a hard time just trying to find the right way to get like fall matches in for like say the freshman and get everything in that you know to count so that you can play a national tournament and, and have it count as NCAs and have the NCAA want to do it. Look. They say doesn't want to put more on our plate. They're going to take le- They're going to put make it do less, and that's my personal thought. And uh, I don't know to add an individual in the fall. Like I just worry about eventually, are they going to take it away and then we don't have it at all, you know? Um, and be able to crown an individual champion. I think if we, you know, we we also have like certain parts of our season like. It's nice to have, like, the break in December. Like, are we really going to go all year? Like, something would need to change with calendars is all I'm saying. Like, you couldn't just continue to, like, say, okay, tennis, you get to be the only sport that goes literally from September to May.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I agree with you. It's tough. That was why, again, this Coach Goffey idea is going to stick with me. The idea because, again, so many of these players now, particularly at the highest levels of college tennis, they have pro aspirations and the idea of, you know, you play the team season in the fall and you do it, you know, early August to November, whatever it may be. And then you move just all of the individuals to the spring, and you allow you know essentially a four month training block for these athletes with all Americans and regionals and fall nats mixed in, and then you play the NCA tournament in April. It is a complete reimagining of the schedule, but it's one that kind of made sense to me.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can see it in some ways. Others, like you're still going to run into the issue of some schools. I think they indoor outdoor season. All that, all that stuff, uh, I don't know, like adding another, you know, adding us to come in in August, another sport. There's only a couple of sports that start school or sorry, start their sport before school starts. I just, again, I, I haven't, I don't know, maybe, maybe things get blown up with everything else that's going on in the world of college sports. So who knows?
0: Yeah, fair. The other one I'd throw at you, <clears throat> excuse me, on a serious note would be, uh, and I know you guys haven't quite hit finals yet, but I'm sure you're going to get there soon. The eight-hour rule, the 25 competitive dates—is that you know—is does that reflect? Is that enough to reflect the demands of modern tennis, or do you think it's time to reexamine those numbers?
1: Um, I don't think. Again, you're going to ch- maybe you can find a way with the dates, um, but you're not going to change the hours just because. I mean, that's an NCAA rule, you know what I mean? Um, Especially around finals period. And, like, you're not going to be able to just, because you're tennis, say, yeah, you guys get to, again, have an exception and practice all the time you want. Like, then where's where's the, the grounds that you couldn't do that in any sport? You're just opening up the floodgates for just a lot of inaccuracies there. But I just think, for me, what we need to just dial in is just, like, find the right find the right path to, um, you know, the right schedule and the right amount of competitions that are adequate for our student-athletes and, you know, ones that they're going to be happy with that can make them feel comfortable, like, balancing their school and their tennis. And I think sometimes, like, we forget, like, there's a lot of kids that are here to be both, right? And it's not just something strictly around – you know the sport and I I want to make sure like you know kids come here to have pro aspirations you know and we have a good long tradition of that here at USC but they also come here to get a great education and you can't you can't fall short on that on that expectation and you know we need to still take care of that and be cognizant of it because if we don't again the NCAA will just take away things and that's why I'm a little hesitant to be like look they're, they got us in a good spot. Let's don't try to press it too hard here. And then all of a sudden we're sitting and going, well, shoot, I wish we didn't do that.
0: Yeah, no, it's it's an interesting perspective. I appreciate hearing it. And I, I, don't, I think if you look at the NCAA's actions towards any sport that isn't football or basketball, it's hard to draw any other conclusion. Like, I, I would very much agree with you. With all that said, let's get back to your roster. I am curious. A little earlier you talked about Steph being ready to jump up into that number one singles role. And, you know, last year, I know, I think he lost one dual match at the number three spot. And, you know, you talk to anyone who was in Orlando watching the competitions that they hold there in the summer. They're all saying, you know, Steph had a big summer We'll talk about the growth you saw from him last season, and is he ready to jump into that number one spot?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, he's, just like anybody, he's got, you know, maturity and growth, and that's why he's here in college tennis, you know, to to, to do that, and he's figuring it out at a, rapid, at a rapid pace. I think, you know, moving up to three from five the year before, that was a good progression for him, and now, like, he sees it with Daniel and Riley gone he wanted that position he wanted to you know he believed all along that he could do that I mean you can see it every day in practice the guy works his butt off he's got the you know on the mamba mentality I call it I've, I feel like he, he thinks a lot like I do it, where it's kind of very cutthroat and it's you know you either live up to my expectation or you know kind of <laughs> you um, and you know I love seeing that in him and he's you know he's growing and he's maturing as well mentally in his game as well as t- in terms of just his shot selection and his productivity there as well. You know there's a lot more variety. There he understands that he can't just like especially at the one position just go okay I'm going to hit a serve and a forehand and that's how I'm going to win my point. Um, and I think he did a really good job of that <clears throat> when I was down in San Diego with him. Is he you know he used a serve and volley. He used you know his slice a lot better. He used a heavy ball. He used transition. He was playing multidimensionally, and you know he tired out against Vossel. Unfortunately, he didn't have a lot of training going into it because he sprained his ankle at regionals. But I mean, the kid just—you know—the the, kid—the kid is really trying to really figuring out his game. Now, if he can just stay at it consistently and and you know really push himself, you know, just in terms of the small details, he's gonna he's going to figure it out really quickly here that, you know, and I think he does. He believes that he's one of the top guys in the game right now in college tennis.
0: Mm-hmm. no absolutely and you know whether it was he and again so much success for him last season so much success for a guy like Bradley Fry as well and I'm curious what growth you've seen from him as you look out in the roster this year and it is a relatively young team I mean obviously uh it, it's a bit again you lose guys like Hookerman and Smith but you know you've got seniors in Jake Sands in Bradley Fry are you know how have they stepped up this season into that senior leadership role
1: yeah, I mean, Brad, unfortunately, well, I'll start. Jake's unfortunately been a little under the weather. He's dealt with some, you know, things, you know, there. Um, but with Bradley, I mean, look, went out right away out the gate and beat, had a good tournament up in San Francisco, beating Famba and, uh, you know, getting to the finals there. Um, and, you know, I think where Bradley has figured things out is, you know, he's not looking to see if, like, maybe he's just a piece of the puzzle. Like, he is in the puzzle you know like he is he is the guy and he is a not only a leader he's one of our you know guys that's main state as a captain from last year to this year and but like in terms of his growth like he's just you know matured a lot in the sense of his on-court presence and his on-court like at practice just you know trusting himself and believing himself a lot more and you know that what he's doing and what he's putting in is paying off look we put a lot of effort into the weight room this fall and the guys have really bought in and I to to me like that always I think gives guys an extra like lift and confidence of like an ego it's like when you start feeling that you're getting stronger in that weight room that that starts to pay off dividends on the court as well and you know haven't really always had that with teams but this year these guys have really listened to us as, and our coaching staff and like they've bought into the to the you know off-court conditioning process and it's i like i said it's it's really becoming a huge factor for us in terms That's, of them building their confidence so
0: that said parsa has leaked that you still have the top bench on the team is that true
1: <laughs> I I think I I think I'm up there. I think I'm up there. I can I can still put up a good amount, but like the legs are getting a little tired these days. That's yeah, it, sure. it's
0: I'm sure it's the squat. Yeah, that that's where they.
1: Brad, Brad holds the record on the squat right now. I think Brad's Does got he? those big old
0: quads and thighs. Oh, don't sleep on Bong He's gonna get in there and he's gonna just <laughs> one, one rep 300 pounds, and everyone's gonna be like, oh my god! And then he's not gonna do another rep for the rest of the season. Um, but no, I. I it's, it's interesting because obviously, again, you bring back a guy like Ludd who had a ton of success and, you know, again, all of these players have experienced a season at USC and yet you talked about the depth and where that depth comes from is obviously the newcomers you guys are bringing in here in January. And I am curious from a recruiting standpoint, and I know, again, it's a serious question, but How do you balance the current situation of—and obviously it's extreme right now because we have five classes of high school graduates in college tennis—but how do you balance recruiting for the long term, bringing in some of the freshmen like you did, versus knowing the fact that, hey, if I look on the transfer portal right now, I can find a five singles, I can find a six singles. How do you balance those two things in recruiting?
1: I think it's just a matter about having consistency on your roster. I mean, look, you can like look at what Baylor did last year and they just had a, you know, couple young guys at the top that are obviously the most talented on their team that could just be, you know, to hold their own, but then at the lower part of the lineup they had four guys that were just they'd, they'd gone through it, they'd had whatever, 20 years of experience, right? Or close to it. And, you know, that's something to be said if you can get that you know, fortunately enough, and they just buy in. It was like, okay, I'm going to play my spot. I want to try to win a national title and go. That doesn't always work, but like it did in that, in that case, um, you know, I, I'm not one that would want to live and die by the transfer portal, like with my four and a half scholarships every year in case and hope that I could get somebody. Um, but like, you know, at the same time, you know, this year for us, you know, we've got a great transfer, a couple transfers in Sam Rubel, who to me is like, improved probably more than anybody I've ever seen in a two-month period on the tennis court. Just works his butt off and sees, like, just results going and gets to the semifinals of our regional and honestly was up a set and a break to get to the final and and shoulda, coulda, woulda there. Um, You know, adding a guy like Paul Barreto from Cal who had four years of of experience and who's hungry to, you know, finish his career off on a good note after what happened to him last year and not getting to play his season. You know, with his experience in doubles and singles, being a top 75, you know, ITA player uh, and top 20 in doubles, you know, like, I'm a fool not to try to, to go after and get guys like that that can add that experience to our roster. But then adding, like, super talent like, you know, we did already, you know, getting a guy like Peter Mack, top 20 in the world, Ryan Colby, top 75 in the world, top Two players in the country in the United States it's a guy like Wojtek, who's top 20 in the world, top six, top 50 in the world, ATP. I mean, you know, all those things, like, these are all tremendous tennis players. And if you, again, you're trying to create the right puzzle and and make it work and just adding the pieces together. And, you know, to me, chemistry and cohesiveness is, is crucial. So, you know, having a good balance, like having too many Americans or too many internationals on your roster I've always thought like having
0: a good equal balance. And right now I feel like we do have that. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm excited to coach this group. Mm -hmm. Well, looking at the depth, you know, 58 and 32 in singles this fall at 64% win percentage. You look at the doubles, 24 and 15, again, pretty solid fall. You played 11 different pairings. I'm curious this fall, and again, not having a fall last year, are you looking more for teams pairings? Are you looking to get the system in place? What has the focus been on doubles this season? What leads to 11 pairings, which for the record is slightly on the higher side?
1: Yeah, I mean... Chris and I, like early on, look, we knew that maybe Brad and Steph could go on and just play every tournament together and do really well. Um, But again, like we just said, we got a group that hadn't been a a lot together um, and trying to figure out each other and trying to figure out my system and how we like to play doubles. So what we thought on the back end as well is like, and you have a hidden dual format as well, where you can, you know, play, multiple different combinations each day or you know every other day and you know we thought okay we need to get these guys to learn and you know play with guys that have uh experience in our system and try to play together so um it's not necessarily about trying to see if if those are good combos together but it's trying to get those guys to learn from the older guys the more experienced guys of what we want and trying to take that out of the equation was like okay Success comes in different shapes and sizes. You know, obviously winning it would be great, but are we doing the right things on court? Are we trying to mature? Are we trying to grow? Are we trying to, you know, figure out, okay, is certain volume, the right play or trying different, you know, formations or having to cover the middle or poaching and all those different things. You know, like if we put those guys together with new guys that are, you know, trying to figure each other out, let alone the system, then does that not lead to success there? Or putting a guy like Peter Mack with Bradley Fry and, you know, getting him to learn from a guy who played number two doubles and lost one dual match last year and Steph with Sam, who's the same, and then they go out and have the success that they had, you know, like that's super important. Or getting a guy like Ryder to play with a guy like Paul Bredo, who played number one on his team at Cal, like all those things are super crucial, right? So, you know, that to me was what was important for our group and learning from, you know, from guys like that and playing with with players like that.
0: Are you team serve and volley whenever possible in doubles? I'm curious what that system looks like. You don't have to give away the full playbook, but I always think this is interesting because I do think one of the changes in college tennis is, you know, early, you know. 2000s, late 2000s, early 2010s. So many coaches. It was serve volley, serve and volley, serve and volley. Have, have your doubles principles changed at all over the past couple of seasons?
1: I definitely think I'm more open to different variety. Um, you know, I think I always think if if you're a – if you have a good first serve, like a Bradley, Fire, Stefan, or even Paul Breit, like you got to know your game, um, and you got to know your opponents that you're playing you know, sometimes it warrants that you play I a a lot or you play a style where you don't poach as much because the guy, it's not necessary and you can kind of just serve and volley and, and play straight up and just get to the net. I do think the team that gets to the net first is usually the team that's going to dominate the court. Like, I truly do believe that. Does that mean you have to serve and volley? Not always. Maybe on a second serve, you think the guy's returning at your feet a little bit more, you can hit an approach shot and come in. Great, I like that. I think the idea is you're always playing aggressive, and the idea is to come to the net and finish at the net. I don't think you can have a winning strategy, especially outdoors where you're playing strictly from the baseline. Indoors, yeah, obviously as well on quicker surfaces the team that gets the net and forces the action is usually going to have a lot more success than the team that tries to play from the baseline
0: yeah and obviously you're well aware how important that doubles point is i will continue to say you guys winning that doubles point against unc at the 2020 indoors that was the match just you guys seized the momentum in that tiebreaker you never let it go with that said you look at the schedule this year and look it's not going to be an easy kickoff weekend right away you guys have harvard in that first match a potential rematch with pepperdine looming after that and you know i look at the schedule i know you guys have texas later on as well a i'm sure it's got to be nice for you to just be able to schedule a little bit more freely this year but b you know what are your thoughts on the schedule what are the matches that you know you guys are most looking forward to
1: yeah no it's uh it's a good group it's a good balance of you know local and obviously playing some other teams across the, the country. I was actually pretty excited when I saw a team like Harvard and, you know, was going to probably have a good chance of winning the Ivy League, you know, coming out to play us in Pepperdine, you know, they're, they're obviously a strong team as well. If we can get through the both, you know, get through those matches, um, you know, but you always get, you know, a chance to go play Stanford twice a year, UCLA twice a year. You know, Arizona's are going to be very strong again this season. You know, our Pac twelve I feel like is is a great conference. You know, I, I still feel like it's you know, one of the top two conferences out there. People can say otherwise, but you know, teams that play on the West Coast, you know, West Coast, best coast, Alex. And you know, it, it's it's where, you know, strong tennis players come to play and I feel like, you know, we we got we got a great, you know, group of teams here and you know, we're all aiming to, you know, be the best in the country. Um You know, game to play Texas, like, that's definitely one that's circled on the calendar after losing to the close four threes to them last season. Um, You know, uh, trying to think else on the schedule right now. Um, You know, I'm hoping to still try to get a match in with the Buckeyes. We're – Coach Tucker and I are trying to work on that tirelessly, you know, and hopefully if we make national indoors, we get to play those matches as well. So, you know, a lot of – A lot of great great matches to look forward to. USD team, you know, down there. We play at the end of the season. I mean, Ryan's going to have a great team this year. I feel like a top-20 team for sure. I mean, he's got the best – I mean, you can say the best
0: player in the country right now Mm -hmm. at one singles. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm curious for you because you've coached again, whether it's now at USC, at San Diego, Texas Tech. Last year they waived the 500 rule, and obviously, for those that don't know, 500 rule—you have to be 500 better to get into the NCAA tournament. Would you be fine if that rule went away?
1: No, I think you should have it. I was subject to it being a negative for me back at Texas Tech. I don't know if you remember couple years or whatever that was 2017 no yeah 2017 we went 12 and 14 we we're one match away from getting ourselves over the hump and making ourselves 500 we make that awesome run where we beat baylor baylor oklahoma state in a given week and have our last crack at beating uh, tcu but they got us and we went all the way up from 40 in the country to top 20 but we didn't make it yeah and and, and but I, I was think gonna say day, and so you say keep it still yeah, I mean, look, at the end of the day, we hurt ourselves by putting, you know, we, we didn't lose it because at the end of the season. It's like losing a match and saying that one call defined the match. No, you, there's a lot of things that that go into, like, the, you know, into the course of a match where you could have won it. Like, maybe early on in the match, you should have broken them at 2-0 to go up 3-0, and, and then the guy just goes away. Well, we could have won probably four or five other matches throughout that year that would have just secured it for us, and we didn't take we didn't take care of business. So, you know, that's uh, that's just the way that it goes. I I don't think a subpar team, you know, should be able to to uh, be able to sneak in there just because they're given the luxury of playing a balanced schedule, or I mean a tougher schedule, and. You know, like there's a lot of teams that are equally as good, and you know if they're successful, they that, that's fine. Yep. They should get in.
0: I like that. I won't lie. I've done a lot of these interviews now. I have not heard many people defend the 500 rule. So I always like a good zag. That was a good zag, coach. I'm in. I, I it's hard. Again, it's I mean, it, it I see both sides of the argument. I like again if it if there are more USC Georgia USC Ohio State little quad type events. I'm in on that. At the same time, there is something, too. Be 500. Win your matches, you know, to get into the NCAA tournament.
1: Here's the thing you got to look at, Gruskin. Okay, so let's be honest. In the top 25 in, in basketball, football, whatever, would you ever see a team that's 8-15 and 15 just because they play in the SEC be in the top 25? No, you wouldn't. I feel like, look, I'm on the committees. I do all these things. I always go to argument of, like, ranking-wise – We do ourselves a disservice by saying that we put all our eggs in one basket with the wins. Like I'll go to the grave on that. You know, like if you lose, you shouldn't be just put, like if you keep losing, you shouldn't be ranked just because you got a good team and you're playing in the sec or you're playing in the pac 12 or playing all these strong conferences. You know what I mean? Like you got to win at the end of the day, if you want to be ranked highly, like again, Duke could be a great team, but if they don't, they, if they're sub 500, they're not making the NCAA tournament. It, it's not just because they're still not a good team, and they might have the RPI of a top 30, you know. But you, you just they they still haven't got the wins in order to get themselves in, and that that to me like that that means a lot more so it, that's just my opinion.
0: my no i like it the only thing that i don't like is that and it was from a couple years ago i keep using this example it was like arkansas gate where they played six matches in a day or whatever to get over the 500 one it's just like that's exactly that's stupid like i like i don't understand that um but at the same time, you know, again, was that arch- I, – you're right. It, it's really just – it's the Power Five conferences. You can understand why, in particular, they would want the 500 rule waived. Um, it's interesting. No, I, I do like the – I mean, yes, you should have to win to get into the NCAA tournament. That said, what about a Big 12 school where it's like, again, you're Texas Tech. You have a really, really good non-conference season. But Texas, TCU, Baylor, who are all probably top 10-ish teams this year, are just beating you down. And it's just like now you're under 500 that that that's where it does that team deserve you know did your team deserve to get in the answer was probably yes
1: yeah at, at the same time like i make my schedule i make my schedule i have that's only five matches alex at the end of the day like in the big 12 you play five matches you have 20 other matches or whatever maybe 15 other matches there throughout that entire you know fall or sorry, spring, that I could have put some things together to make, you know, to make that work, and I didn't do it. And, you know, just because for five matches I couldn't get it done or I won one of those four matches, like, you know, I, I again, I could have beaten that year. I could have beaten Vanderbilt. I could have beaten Alabama. I could have, you know, beaten some of these other schools, and we didn't do it. And, you know, that's on me. And I, maybe I should have scheduled if i would have scheduled differently maybe gotten some other you know easier wins
0: then that wouldn't have happened but unfortunate sure no that totally fair well then with that in mind a couple ones i know you got to go soon just some goofy stuff to before i let you go if you knew that you got to you know you get to enjoy the joys of winning the 2020 national indoors but then you have to endure whatever the hell happened at last year's national indoors are you willing to make that trade off again
1: yeah, of course, man. Come on. <laughs> That's an easy one. Like you gonna go win a national title and then you lose a couple of those tough those tough ones, like, I get it. You know, like that, again, those were growing moments for us and it was unfortunate,
0: but you know, it's it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I am curious, what was last year's National Indoors like? I have to ask. I mean, I was there. It was the fun. You, I mean, just some of those matches, whether it was Texas, whether it was TCU, even Illinois, it just, you know, even though the Illinois was 4-1, that felt like a 4-3 match. What does a weekend like that do for the team?
1: Look, it definitely like felt like a kick to the gut. You know what I mean? You know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't easy. Um, I mean, it, it was cold weather outside. We're in Champaign. You know, things aren't going very good. Um, But when we, but when it was all said and done, like I do think it helped us grow and get better, you know, towards the middle part of the season. And, you know, it gave us a little bit of a kick in the gut like we needed in order to, um, you know, in order to uh, get to where we want to, where we wanted to go. And I, you know, I was really, you know bummed at the fact that we lost those matches but at the same time you know I, th- I really think that at the end of the day we were just we just weren't a team that was ready for it yet and you know we we got ourselves ready towards the middle part of the season because
0: yeah of that was a four beer weekend no doubt about that uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah um yeah all right again rapid fire here home stretch some other rule changes Would you be fine if college tennis implemented a timeout? So you get one 90-second timeout to use at any point of the match. You get to bring all your guys in. Quick team meeting. You can send them back out.
1: Gosh, yeah. Actually, I remember having one of those one time. I remember we were playing Arizona back in the day. I was the assistant coach here. And Tad Berkowitz... We're just crushing them. We're up like seven zero on every court, or six zero on every court, and he just goes over to comes over to Peter and I and goes, "Hey, can I just call a timeout real quick and just like get my group back together?" Because I'm we're you know like it was really funny because like I was thinking the same thing. I was like, "Man, I would probably want to have a timeout too at this point." And uh, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind that. That's actually a pretty good idea.
0: I'm, I'm fine. Right, I, I'm I for throw it. them in. Now we get funkier. Substitution. So to me, why do you bring up substitutions? I just think that lull between the end of doubles, start of singles, and really the first hour of singles, you, you lose a lot of fans there. So my solution to that is simultaneous start, one doubles flight, four singles flights, but you get to start uh, – you get to substitute those doubles players into singles. If you, each coach gets one substitution is the point throughout the course of the match.
1: Does he have to stay in the entire time or can he come back
0: out? I'd say it's soccer substitution. So you sub him in, he's got you know the player you subbed out cannot go back in.
1: Man, I would I would actually like it'd be great right to bring in like let's say the closer. Your guy at six, Yeah. The close the guy like you can't really serve at six singles and he just he just needs like a guy to come in and like you bring in a 6-7 monster to just drop bombs at the end of the match to close out the duel like that'd be that'd be incredible yeah wouldn't you know to be able to do something like that? and like you
0: guys get the scoreboard going you bring in the closer sound effect like i think it's a win for college tennis the thing is i just it's that lull and yeah i mean again i don't think it compromises the format the real question is would you have kept riley out of matches to bring him in as a closer (laughs) yeah that's fair he does it well (laughs) enough on his own uh well then with that said final question for you and i've given every coach the chance to do this i need to do
1: actually to go back to that what would be kind of cool is you don't you you just can switch courts
0: Ooh, ooh. don't
1: just you just go like okay like steph you're not doing or whatever like between two and three you can go up or down one position at some point during the match how about that
0: I, i can i steal that Oh, I'm I'm a hundred yeah, no percent going to steal that. That's a good one. I like that. Uh, yeah. Or it's like Steph has it today, and Daniel's a little banged up, and he's in his usual second set swoon, and you're just like, all right, Steph, go finish the match. Like Daniel, you're we're gonna just you go down there. Yeah, it's just yeah, I'm in. i I like that rule that's a lot of fun um well then my final question for you uh is of course the same one i'm offering all these coaches and i know we've heard it from you before but you know again i want to hear it give me the recruiting pitch why should i come to usc why should i be a trojan
1: uh we're the most historic tennis team in all of college tennis we've got 21 national titles we've got the most singles and doubles national titles of anyone else out in the country. We have the most All-Americans out in the country. Right now, we have over seven or eight guys that are playing professional tennis. You know, we got a guy who was number one in the world in doubles, guy top 25 in singles. Historically, we've got the best. We got the best program in the country. We play in 70 degree weather every single day. I mean, we can play outdoors the entire season. We've got the mecca of tennis here in Southern California. Where else would you rather go and do that? And you got two incredible coaches that will
0: work with you every single day and make you better. I love it. I love it. I'm in. I, again, you could have had two super incredible coaches coaching at the end, but I never got the call back, coach. Never got the call back.
1: I mean, you got a negative reference from your boy at college tennis range, Chris, so I think he kind of put in a little bit of a block on you there, so I'm sorry. Oh,
0: That just shows me the stiny pitch for me wasn't as strong as I thought. Uh, no, uh, yeah, not a shock. Yeah, that's Chris. He just was afraid to lose me I'm um, his claim to fame. Um, but no, with all of that said, Coach, thank you as always for taking the time to chat. Uh, happy, obviously, belated Thanksgiving to you and your family. Happy holidays moving forward. Hope you enjoy watching my Wolverine marines in the ncaa playoff i think there's a chance there's some playoffs coming in sc football future as well that was fun when you saw the lincoln riley deal were you like all right i gotta step up my game
1: oh, oh it, it, look it just well day later we got our signee and we we got our our assistant coaches hired i mean look it's funny how football can just really kind of elevate everything in athletics i mean as soon as that happened it's like a big jolt of lightning hit the university even though we were four and eight this year in in football like it didn't matter anymore and you know i just think look usc just has a very proud tradition of college athletics and it needs to be up there at the top and you know going out and getting a guy like him is what was needed and you know it's fun to have that happen yeah
0: here. you know why i didn't get the assistant job is because i also asked for them to buy my two homes in michigan and they said no uh, and they're like <laughs> not for tennis uh but all right with all of that said coach macy thank you so much for taking the time good luck to you and the team obviously i'm sure we will chat with you at some point later on this season
1: hopefully you can put us back in your top 10 soon Alex.
0: <laughs> well game time decision you know game time decision um, yeah, all right. I'm always it. But thank you, Coach. Be safe, be healthy. We'll chat soon. Appreciate it always. Yes, take care. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with USC men's tennis head coach, Brett Macy. A thank you to him as always for taking the time to come on the show. Always a pleasure to get to chat with him. And again, we will be wishing he and his team success and health throughout the course of 2022. But as I mentioned at the top, this is the first of many conversations to come. I think I've done 33 interviews thus far, maybe more than that at this point, I've lost track, but so many fantastic conversations with the many exciting exceptional coaches from throughout the country being on the lookout for more conversations to drop here on the Cracked interviews podcast feed over the next month you'll be able to find every interview on our website crackrackets.com as well as such a shout out to our super producer daniel west F- of an editing job coming up for him you can imagine every conversation is a separate edit so you know again Guy kills it day in, day out. Got to give him all of the credit in the world. Again, if you are looking for any of our content, you can find it on the website, CrackRackets.com. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this podcast, the Mini Break Podcast, Great Shot Podcast, and our Crack Rackets YouTube channel so that you don't miss out on any of the action. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at CrackRackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Pod. With all that said, for our fantastic guest, USC men's tennis head coach, Brett Macy, our super producers, Leader. and Westoff off our friends at tennis point and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin you've been listening to another edition of the cracked interviews podcast stay safe stay healthy we'll talk to you all soon thanks everyone